It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Hey there, Bengals fans. Welcome to your first episode of the week of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. This week, we're going to talk about some positional reviews. We'll keep up on Bengals free agency news as it happens, and also the draft prep news as the Bengals make their way to pro days around the country. We'll keep you in the loop uh, as far as we see news about those topics. If you're expecting Mock Draft Monday, that will be tomorrow this week. We have a lot to talk about, actually, that happened since we recorded on Friday. So we'll cover the Mock Draft Monday on Tuesday this week. One note, Jake, before you do go further. I I just thought of it because you said uh, we'll keep up on the draft stuff. The Bengals have a top 30 visit with Rashawn Gary, defensive lineman from Michigan, which is very important. You want to know the top 30. You can really narrow down who they're targeting. Uh, by paying attention to that list for the first two rounds at least, sometimes even into the third. So keep an eye on Rashawn Gary. Uh, he would be a fit. I think we've d- debated him at times during Mock Draft Monday and talked about him then, and we probably will when we get tomorrow's uh, podcast out when we go through that exercise again. Pro Football Focus would yell at you a lot if you tried to take Rashawn Gary in the first round. That's their opinion. We'll talk about our opinion when we get to Mock Draft Monday. I think I also saw that they have a visit set up for receiver Keyshawn Johnson. Correct. Is it Johnson? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Route technician, for those of you that don't know him. Good hands. Makes a lot of contested grabs, yes. Doesn't have the crazy athleticism, but is pretty refined. Day three pick, easy. And 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 if if that means fourth round, that would be the absolute highest, in my opinion, he goes. So someone else that we can talk about when we get into those mock drafts. Now that we're starting to know some of the names the Bengals are interested in, we can know who to target realistically for them as we get into those later rounds. So that'll be coming tomorrow. Today, we'll just reset. The Bengals have $21 million left against the salary cap. This is a total salary cap, not the top 51. And this is before counting Tyler Eifert and... John John Miller's contracts. So we figured that those two contracts will probably get the Bengals pretty close to being at about 10 million under the cap, which means they are most likely done in free agency because they like to keep that money for rookies and injuries and all those fun things. 
unless they make cap room somewhere, like cutting Vontez Perfect or some other surprise cut that maybe we're not anticipating. But more than likely, they don't have very much more money to spend in free agency, even though they do have a couple of free agent visits set up for Monday, and we'll talk about those toward the end of the podcast. Yes. And well, they made some moves. They have made some moves. It's interesting, though, before we talk about those moves, it turns out that the average NFL playoff team's dead cap is 9.1% of their salary cap. For this year, that's just below, I think, $18 million. The Bengals currently have $2.1 million in dead cap money for 2019. And Joe, you mentioned this when I brought this up before we started recording. That means that these teams are willing to cut players, the teams that are going to the playoffs. Yeah. And and the reason I bring that up is because we're going to talk about the potential outs in some of these deals that we're going to talk about today. So the first one is old news at this point. The Bengals re-signed Preston Brown. There's not much to say about this guy as a player. We've talked about him quite a bit. But we do have the contract details. It's three years, $16 million, and quite a few bonuses kind of scattered around. $600,000 of that contract is in active game bonuses, so not guaranteed money unless he plays the games. So looking at the, the full guarantees, in year two, the Bengals could cut Preston Brown and save $1.6 million, or sorry, save $4.2 million with $1.6 million in dead cap. So that is something that the Bengals typically haven't done a lot, but they have done it sometimes because right now they're sitting at 2.1 million in debt money. And a lot of that is because of George Iloka last year. Yep. So at that, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, we didn't say 4.8 million of it, of his contract is guaranteed out of the 16 and a half. So uh, I think the cash this year, plus, you know, the guaranteed money, he's in my opinion, when you look at it and how he could be cut and have, uh, some cap savings. It looks like, and I, I don't know if you agree, Jake, he's at least here for two years at a rate that would make him your starting at least base four, three, whatever, three, four, whatever they play, but they're, they're base inside linebacker. Yeah. I would say he's a hundred percent here for a year. Obviously. I think that there's a pretty good chance he's here for two years. I think there's a small chance that he's cut next year. I would say it's a small chance though. He would have to be bad, bad, right? He'd have to be either injured again like he was last year or completely bad. Sure. Or, and he's or never just, been completely bad. Or just unnecessary, depending on how the draft goes, right? So, Oh, we're talking about the Bengals, though. There's no unnecessary on the on this roster. Well. In their minds. <laughs> well, George Iloka was replaced by Jesse Bates. Sure. And so. that was how late in Iloka's career, and they spent a second-round pick. Now, I agree and I think while they're still, because Brown is the only linebacker they signed, right? And people have asked, well, why aren't they going out and getting another linebacker? I think that as they whittle down their needs, uh, they're, it's going to be clear what they want to target in the first two rounds. And I think linebackers are going to be one of them left standing. And because of it, uh, that guy could replace Brown in a year if they go that route. I think there's – the thing is you can play three linebackers. You can play four linebackers. They just all be role players. So there's room for all of them to be on the roster mm-hmm. and playing. Or maybe they'll make a trade. And there are some rumors on that, too, that maybe Vontez Perfect is not for long with the Bengals. So we will see. And if that happens, then there's more money available. Not that I think they would spend it. So, And this kind of is a good segue into B.W. Webb's contract. So B.W. Webb was signed by the Bengals on Friday. He's got a $10.5 million contract over three years. Very little guaranteed money. Uh, after- 25 
And and most of that is the prorated bonus. So that means yep. that even if they cut him next year, if they decide, oh, he's reverted back to his 2017 form when he couldn't get, he actually missed 2017. He wasn't on a team. Uh, so if he goes back to form, which is not employable in the, in the NFL, then if they cut him next year, it's a $1 million dead cap, $2.6 million savings. Year yep. three, 500,000 dead cap, $3.4 million savings. As you pointed out, Joe, very cheap veteran deal, about as cheap as you could probably get for a guy that you're expecting to start in the slot that's not on a rookie contract. By comparison, Darquez Denard is asking for $10 million. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But the question, I think, is let's say the Bengals offered Denard $8 million and that was their ceiling there. There are the, What are they doing with the other $5 million? Is that, is that what they use to sign John Miller or, or, or what are we doing with that money? That is always the question, right? And when we debate, is somebody worth the contract they're seeking, uh, that's a that's its own debate there on a, on a player's value. And everyone has a different value on, on, you know, the teams, analysts, fans, everyone has a different value on a player. And then it becomes, well, if you don't feel that guy's valuable enough, do you trust this team to take that $5 million savings and place it on another player? And you're right. it could That could be John Miller. Uh, they offered a contract to Shaq Barrett after he had a visit, and that could have been the savings. So, uh, you know, it, you really can't tell. I think we tend to lean on the Bengals don't maximize the cap. So do they always spend it? No, they don't always. And that's where the concern is, where you say, well, did they get better at that position going from Darquez Denard to B.W. Webb? And in my opinion, what you're getting with B.W. Webb is you got a little bit older. He's uh, two years older than Darquez Denard. But he's more athletic, he's quicker, uh, doesn't have as much consistent experience, whereas even though Denard really has never been a full-time starter except for the one year where he took 900 snaps, he's been injured and then really the last two and a half to three years Denard's played. But for B.W. Webb, he's been cut, I think, four times in his career. He's been on six different teams. Uh, Like you said, he didn't play in 2017. He really has never even been a rosterable player for for the entirety of his career until this past year where he played over a thousand snaps mm-hmm. i mean he went from not even playing at all to playing a thousand snaps 800 of them on the boundary 200 and some change in the slot and he graded really well he didn't grade really well the production was really good in the slot and i think that's where the Bengals look at him and they say well Maybe if we have him as a full-time slot guy, we can unlock maybe what he's been. Or he gives us a baseline level guy that can play on the outside if needed, if, say, uh, Kirkpatrick goes down. But he's our slot guy for now. And the money they're giving him, he could be beaten out by either a draft pick or one of the draft picks from last year in Devontae Harris or uh, Darius Phillips. I think with typically if the Bengals are giving a guy like four, five, six million dollars like these other signings, I think those guys are, are starters no matter what. Whereas B.W. Webb is more of, he's our starter for now, but he can be upgraded. And the Bengals have always liked to have depth at the corner position. That's a position where they've always carried a ton of guys. They, you know, had all those first round picks there for so long. Right. What was it? Drake Kirkpatrick and Dark Denard were like the fourth and fifth guys at one point. Yeah. That first year Denard was drafted, and yeah. they had just a bunch of first rounders ahead of those guys. Because Leon Hall was still there, right? So it was Hall, Pac Man, Terrence Newman, and yeah. I want to say they had Jason Allen or Kelly Jennings. It was someone low rung guy, but those guys were yeah coming in. I think Denard was uh, the fifth guy, and fourth was Kirkpatrick. Yeah, 
And so I, I think Webb right now is if, if the position doesn't change at all and if the fifth-round guys from last year don't take a step, then he's probably the guy that they're going to lean on and they probably like that he has some outside experience. But you can do better. I think Lou Anarumo has some comfort with him, though, for sure. The way that yeah. BW Webb talked about Anarumo in his very brief interview with Bengals.com after he signed his contract sounded like they have a pretty good relationship. So maybe that you know gets the most out of him, and that's an upside. And I would imagine he does have high regard for Anarumo because, like I said, he bounced around for so long that you finally click with a defensive coach that trusts you and lets you play and maybe gets you to a point that you can play and play well, and he did. Uh, and more about Webb, when I watched him, I put on tape, watched a lot of games. He is a good wrap-up tackler. He's not Dark Denard with that extra weight and that power behind him, but he's a, he's a secure tackler. Uh, like I said, a little more quick, uh, not – the high end uh, top speed and the ball skills really aren't aren't there either. And he also one key thing in about the same amount of career snaps, Darquez Denard had three total penalties in his career. BW Webb last year had ten penalties. And yeah. when I talked to Giants fans, they were like, "Man, third down penalties. This guy was a a wild card each time." And that, if anything, if it's a wash, most because they're they're two different types of corners. But if it's a wash in what you're getting in terms of level of play. Those penalties, and we we've been we've seen firsthand how much the Bengals have been killed by the penalty, especially on third downs, defensive holding, pass interference, whatever. Having another guy added to that mix that has also had that issue is kind of scary. Yeah, so it's something that if it doesn't get cleaned up, is going to be a big knock on Web, even if the rest of it goes well. Right. BW Web also, I think, was Robert Livingston. I think was a college coach. Yes, for BW. He's got connection there. Correct. Yeah. William and Mary. I remember when BW Webb was coming out, and he, my best friend, who's also really into football like I am, he's a Cowboys fan. The Cowboys drafted him in the fourth round, so I've followed BW Webb's career for a while now. And he's followed you to Cincinnati. Next up on the list, speaking of people following you, John yeah. Miller goes from Buffalo to Cincinnati as Tyler Croft goes from Cincinnati to Buffalo. How do you grade the trade, Joe? Who wins? I'm just kidding. The The Miller contract is $16.5 million over three years. We don't have any of the specifics there, but that is certainly starter money because the average annual value, and again, this could change once we get the specifics, but the average per year is higher than Clint Bowling. Clint yeah. Bowling is now the fourth highest paid lineman on the Bengals. It's kind of scary to think about. Um because when I see these veteran guards getting released around the league and a lot of people will say, well, should the Bengals be interested? And I look and I'm like, well, it's a, it's, it was his first bad year. I'm looking at like PFF grades, right? I haven't had time to watch film on a guy. So I, I put up, pull up the PFF stuff and I'm like, oh, Josh Klein, Tennessee. He's been good for a long time. One bad year, they cut him. And he's similar age to Clint Bowling. And I go, oh, I, with the Bengals doing what they're doing at guard, it kind of makes you wonder. They publicly say they like Redmond. They give a good tender to Hopkins. Uh, we all still like Christian Westerman, and then they sign John Miller, and you go, I wonder if Clint Bowling is on the block or potential release. And speaking of dead cap space and things like that, and it just made me wonder. But just thinking of speaking of Miller, when you average five and a half million dollars a year at guard, I mean, that means the Bengals are valuing you at that position, right? They mm-hmm. they pay Clint Bowling that. They wouldn't pay Kevin Zeitler top rate. I think he's our starting right guard, and he's 25 years old. He's played a lot in his career besides the one year he, he was hurt. Uh, I want to say third-round pick out of Louisville, so it's another local kind of tie. Mm-hmm. 
And he is a big, strong guy. He's the kind of, honestly, he's my favorite addition so far from the outside. And it's yep. because he's 25. It's because this is how you get a Bobby Williams. If you're gonna find, if you're gonna find a good starting guard that, and let's, I think of like the Eagles, Brandon Brooks. Uh, they signed him from the Texans a few years ago. And similar age, big guys, strong guys that need a change of scenery that have had some success in the NFL. Um, I, you know, that's what I want to take a chance on. That's what I want to see if you can roll the dice and all of a sudden you've got yourself a good starting guard because he has some talent. And now if you talk to Bills fans or Bills analysts, they're like, yeah, whatever happened over the last year and a half, he just wasn't the same guy and he struggled a lot. Uh, that's fine. You know, it's kind of the similar situation where as we were telling them, man, Russell Bodine sucks and you guys are signing him to be your center, but they really needed somebody at center. Bengals really need somebody at guard, and at the very least, I think this one signing represents the marginal upgrade uh, out of all of them. And I think John Miller and Clint, or sorry, John Miller and Russell Bodine are slightly different in terms of what what you're going to see for the Bengals. I mean, maybe Pro Football Focus grades are actually pretty similar, but I think Miller compared to Redmond and pass blocking is going to be noticeably yeah. better, and run blocking probably will be pretty similar and yeah, all that. And you get half the penalties, you know, if that maybe, maybe 30% of the penalties, which is substantial for a team that needs to not commit penalties to keep things moving as, as planned. As just of a big deal we made out of BWI being more of a, a liability than dark Wesnard in that sense. Here's the opposite, right? They get the, maybe the biggest, person that was committing penalties i'm because bobby hart had his share too but we're not going to talk about him alex redmond on the offensive line committed a lot of penalties if you can cut those in half while getting maybe a little bit better in pass protection that is a win for the bengals that really they do not have or they did not have the offense that was able to um overcome a five or ten yard penalty it killed their drive every time not quite every time but most of the time for sure not to be so if it felt like it did. It, yeah, every time that a penalty happened, it was like, okay, I'll 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 check back in five minutes when the team's on defense and see how that's going. Right. Um. So John Miller will be the starting right guard. You're right that it does leave a lot of guys in that interior that we don't know what's going to happen with them. It yeah. makes me very curious about Clint Bowling. I like Clint Bowling a lot. I would probably not be very happy to see him go because I think he's on a good deal. But they're paying a lot of money to those interior linemen, especially with the Hopkins tender and with uh, Billy Price's rookie contracts scaling up as it goes. When you think about that, and if, let's say the average, we'll take the average right now for Miller. We don't know what his year one cap it is, but an average of 5.5 and then 3 million, I think it's 3.1 for Hopkins and then uh, 5.4 this year for Hart. I mean, they just spent 13 million on this offensive line and didn't get anybody good. You kind of this is where the guaranteed money thing comes in, right? Because because the Bengals don't spend it, it precludes them from the high end free agents. But cap wise, they spent that money that it would take to get the best or second best or third best free agent tackle in in, in on the open market. Uh, and that's why we've harped on guaranteed money for a long time because it matters in this sense where they're spending the cap space, but they aren't getting the quality that you would expect from it. Yeah, they're spreading it around, and none of these are high-guaranteed money contracts. Right. The next guy we'll talk about before we take a break, if there will be a break today, is Tyler Eifert. He is back on another one-year deal, probably very similar to last year's contract. I hope more than anything else in the National Football League that in 2019, Tyler Eifert 
is healthy and that he's productive and that they use him properly because Tyler Eifert, man, when he's on the field, he's a huge difference maker, crazy ball skills, crazy catch radius, excellent, excellent red zone weapon. And, and great maybe route that's runner. what they limit him to. Yeah, great route runner. I mean, for a guy his size, it's just absolutely unfair. And, and we've seen that when he's on the field. And you just hope he stays healthy. Tyler Eifert's one of my favorite players. I'm thrilled that he's back. And just, yeah. I would really like him to stay healthy. Yeah, and I wrote about it last year, and everyone could see the impact that Eifert had on the roster and then the offense last year, those first five weeks. Uh, and instantly when he went out that Falcons game, that, that offense took a dive, even though they came back and won. Uh, signing two tight ends now, right? So they've, they're able to keep two out of three. Mm-hmm. And it's a one-year deal for Eifert, but they gave decent money to Uzama. I think draft-wise, how do we look at tight end now? I mean, do you, it's funny because... I, originally I said, well, I, let's keep one of the two of the young guys, get Eifert on a one-year deal again, and then probably still draft one somewhere, whether that means third, fourth, fifth round. You still want to get a guy in. I think tight end is still a need because Eifert's on a one-year deal, and history says he's not going to be healthy. So you want to still protect yourself at that position, and I think that means that you still keep tight end as a need. Um, so for me, when I look at it and I, I say, okay, they signed two tight ends, what does that mean? How, how do they split the snaps? How do they go forward with it? And I look at last year, even though it's going to be a different offense, I think it would be smart to use them how they did last year. And, and Eifert, I think, took 68% of his snaps at a wide receiver position yep. and only blocked on 23% of his snaps. So he was basically a big slot receiver. And because of it, it created matchup problems for the defense really, because they they treated him as a tight end. And that would end up with a, with a single high safety, which the Bengals could exploit all the time. Or they treat him as a receiver and he'd just box out that corner or there'd end up being a, a – um, a, a less linebacker or a safety on the other slot guy, which is Tyler Boyd. So Eifert has a huge impact on this offense. I still that I still think that means when I did, I, I said, I think the Bengals offense is set. And I, I tweeted that out and, and I had um, Uzama as the starting tight end. And I put Eifert as a flex because I think Eifert will still be used. He may even get more targets if both are healthy, but I think the snaps at the tight end position will go to CJ Uzama. Yeah. I think they might try to limit his snaps. I think they might try to just limit his exposure to the field. Not that not that he's injury prone. And doctors, I think, have weighed in on Tyler Eifert. There, there are several doctors that write about medical experts and doctors that write about fantasy football. And one of them, do you remember who it was? I don't remember his name now, but I've used his his guidance before, yeah. and I feel bad now that I don't remember. I think it's John something. Anyway, we'll try to find that out this guy this doctor wrote about tyler eifert and said he's not injury prone his injury he has some nagging stuff in his history but his major injuries have been brutally unlucky like dislocated elbow dislocated ankle like these are impact injuries that aren't things that earn an injury they're not like he has a nagging hamstring injury he pulls his hamstrings every year like uh, odell beckham in early in his career right these injuries could happen to anyone yeah it's just been you know i do think when you have a nagging back and now I'm not a doctor, so this guy probably is going to correct me on it if we ever had him on. But uh, if you, whenever you have a nagging back injury, I feel like those guys get hurt more often. But who am I to say? It just feels that way. You know, I don't have a back injury. But and my point being, um, I would hope that they do limit his snaps the way they did last year, even though he was healthy. He was more of a red zone and wide receiver, so you really tried to keep his exposure limited. And you signed Uzama for a reason, so that you can do things like that. You can keep your offense functioning uh, with the loss of Eifert. 
or using him sparingly. At least you hope that's the idea. So, you do hope that's the idea, but we hope a lot of things with this team. And, and that's you all know, we can do. We can only talk about, Joe, what we think. Well, we can talk about two things, what they will do and what we think they should do. Sure. And we talked about this a uh, little bit on Twitter back and forth because we were saying which guy, where did the Bengals really upgrade? And they may have a slight upgrade with John Miller, uh, and especially in ways that I think really matter. Uh, but bringing back some of the same guys at a lot of other positions, and that includes Eifert. If Eifert is healthy, and that's a huge if, we understand this. If he's even healthy for 10 games, that is the biggest impact signing they've made. That is true. So if there's an ad, it's going to run right now. And then we'll come back and talk about Darquez Denard and two free agent visits that are coming in on Monday. Danny Shelton, defensive tackle, nose tackle really, from New England by way of Cleveland. And Vinnie Curry, who has been in Philly and Tampa. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back, Bengals fans, to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. We're still talking free agency. And, you know, I think the Bengals, some have argued that they're a little more active at least in the reported visits, uh, than normal. And I would say even on the the signings, these would typically be, I think signings they would normally make, but I I feel like they're a little bit early this, uh, this time this year. Rather than being in phase three, the Bengals are actually making signings in phase two, bringing people in. They had a visit scheduled for Brian Poole. Uh, they offered a contract to Shaq Barrett. They have now coming in on Monday, Danny Shelton, nose tackle that has played for the Browns and the Patriots. And Vinnie Curry, that has played for the Eagles for a long time, and then the Bucks last year. He's been released two years in a row. He's 31 years old. Of these two, Jake, do you have interest in either guy? Are you excited for either guy? What do you think? I wouldn't say that I'm excited for either guy. I think Danny Shelton would be a solid addition depending on his price tag. He was a first-round pick, and first-round picks get paid more on average than do similarly skilled players of other rounds in their pedigree. Yeah. Uh, but Danny Shelton, I mean, he has a role that he could certainly play on the Bengals. Uh, Vinny Curry, I mean, where does he even fit? He's he's a situational passer. Maybe they're looking at him to be that nickel defensive tackle. Yeah, he did it in 2015 a lot, and he had a decent year. I, Curry scares me the most of the two because I think he's got – you know, what do you value? Do you value the, the ability to rush the passer more than a run-stuffing nose tackle? I think most would. Uh, but the, if the Bengals have a need at pass rusher, it's an interior pass rusher. And while Curry has done it, and he's played all over, really. He's played defensive tackle, left end, right end. His most success, in my opinion, has come as a wide nine rusher in Jim Schwartz's scheme in Philadelphia, where it really creates advantages and two-way goes for you. For the, for the guy that's a little bit stiffer sometimes, it's a, it's a lot of help, and I think Carl Lawson would actually benefit a lot from that, uh, where he'd really increase his sack numbers rather than getting a lot of pressures. And when you look at Curry's numbers, 
there's a couple years where he's got a load of pressures and just three sacks to go with it or five sacks to go with it. And he seems like that type of guy with that that's going to cause havoc, but he's not going to get the, the high uh, sack numbers. So for me, he's 31 years old. He's been released two years in a row now. He really has only ever been good with the Eagles, even though I think character-wise they love him, and lo- and he, I think he'd probably step into like what Michael Johnson offered. He would have to be really cheap for me to be excited about the addition of Curry. This isn't, for me, an equal to Shaq Barrett. I would have loved Shaq Barrett. For me, for Curry, I would say, okay, they got another pass rusher, and that's never a bad thing. Yeah, it's just... Would they even use him as a pass rusher? So the way that I think they would use Vinny Curry is he'd be down one, down two, end, and then when Carl Lawson's on the field, maybe Vinny Curry's defensive tackle if they don't find somebody else to play there. Sure. That seems like he, the most likely outcome if they do sign him. Yeah, because you got to think where's Hubbard and that. Hubbard probably rotates with, with Dunlap more often, and then it's Lawson and Curry at right end maybe, right? And so. Yeah. Uh, you know, from there, where does that leave Jordan Willis is what, what I thought, because I still want Jordan Willis to take a leap in development and be that guy that can at least be a rotational um, player on this team. And if you sign a Curry, you're burying him again. And while well, one of those guys and injuries are going to happen, obviously, but one of those guys are going to have to find a way to kick inside and rush from from defensive tackle or this uh, this unit's really going to struggle without it. But if Vinny Curry takes snaps away from Carl Lawson, I'm off. Oh, I agree sign completely. Me, sign me up for not that. Don't sign it, me up. It actually made me a little bit concerned to go from right from Barrett and offer him a deal to Vinnie Curry uh, for where is Lawson's recovery. And he seems like the type of guy that'll love, I mean, as much as you can love rehab, but he's a workout warrior. So I haven't heard any reports on it. You know, they haven't said anything bad either. So, But it did make me concerned that are they worried that they don't have that third rusher right now on the team? They might be worried about his first year back from an ACL. Sure, that's right. That's fair. Danny Shelton, on the other hand, run stuffer, drafted in the first round by Cleveland five years ago. He's 25 years old, so yeah. Four, four or five years ago. Was traded to New England, I believe. Yep. Was, as you mentioned before we started recording, benched in the Chiefs game in the AFC Championship game by New England because they thought we don't really need a run stuffer in this game. Played 15 snaps in the Super Bowl. Made a difference in the Super Bowl. He is a talented run defender, but is pretty That's limited as a, as a pass rusher. He's a better Damata Pecco, probably. Uh, who they hopefully wouldn't keep on the field on third downs the way that D'Amato Pecco was out there on third downs for so much physical. Exactly. Yeah, he, uh, he's he got a little bit more juice to him than Pecco does. I don't think his – he doesn't have the, the tackle radius and the length that I think Pecco had in, you know, in the, the that butt to anchor and really s- sit down. Well, Shelton is big and strong, and I think that's the idea of why you would have him. And people say, well, why do you need a backup nose tackle that may get – a few million dollars, you know, and do you want to spend that on a guy who may only play 10 snaps a game, 15 snaps at most, right? So uh, why do you need that? And for me, when I watched the Bengals run defense last year, and it was an issue, right? And I, I said a lot of it was the middle linebacker and having instability and having a guy like Hardy Nickerson playing inside that really he's not my ideal run stuffer, especially not downhill. So then you look at defensive tackle also. And while Billings took a step in year three and really looked like a, a guy I want to resign and extend, Having Billings and Atkins next to each other, both six foot one type guys, it hurts their vision. And especially not every play is a penetrating cause havoc, 
on the offense kind of play. You have to, at times, two-gap, hold your point of attack, uh, hold up an offensive lineman, keep your eyes on the running back, shut them, and make it play. When you have two guys that are 6'1", they got caught in traffic a lot. They lost vision of the ball carrier. They'd often run right next to them, and, and Andrew Billings would not have any awareness or any, any knowledge that the back was right next to him. And that is an issue. That's why you want normally not just bit wide guys at nose tackle. You'd like them to be a little bit taller too and have a little bit more length. Now the thing with Shelton, uh, and I, I think you've got some numbers on this, his tackle radius. If you think Andrew Billings, and we talk about tackle radius for Billings because he's, he's kind of got short arms uh, and doesn't really have that quick burst and that agility, when you look at Danny Shelton, it's even worse. I mean, he's got short arms and he misses a lot of tackles. He's the kind of guy that's going to, be a big body, and then he's going to hustle and jump on a pile. And, and really, that's what he's always been in his career. And that's okay because that fills a role at least. Yeah, he missed 17 out of 135 tackle attempts in his career, which is a 12.5% missed tackle rate, which isn't great. But he's also been in on a ton of stops. So it's not like he's missing all of his tackles. He's made a lot of impact plays too in the running game, especially, like I said, um, and he he's got the motor right. Like he's got he what does. was he? What was it that he tested really well at? He was explosive. You know, what, let me check. Uh, if you want to keep talking, I can look and see what he was. Well, the next topic we're going to talk about is Darquez Denard's reportedly asking for ten million dollars to play the slot corner. Well, actually, I think he wants to play outside, and I think that's why he's asking for that kind of money. So we'll talk about that after we find Danny Shelton. I've got Shelton's right here. He yeah. has got the weirdest spider chart on mockdraftable.com, okay? He's got gigantic hands, 72 percentile, 11 percentile for arms, 32-inch arms, okay? So that's weird already. Uh, he's 6'2", 340 pounds at the, at the combine. So his bench reps, he was 88th percentile for bench reps, which 34 reps. Now, everything else was poor. 3 percentile, 10 percentile for his three-cone, broad jump, 40-yard dash. He was incredibly slow, running a 5'6". Uh, so six. Zero, yeah, 0 percentile. Not 5'06". Five, five, no, 5'6'4". Five, so <laughs> he is this, he's the slowest defensive tackle ever recorded based on this. Um his vertical jump was 65 percentile. Vertical jump was 30 and a half inches. So that shows quick explosion, short area explosion. But yeah, everything else was uh, horrific. His 10-yard split was a 188, which is also in the zero percentile, broad jump in the three percentile. It uh, He should never have gone in the first round at all. So that's Danny Shelton. Would, again, fill a role, fill a need, but... You would need yep. is maybe a strong word. Depends on the money too. Like I wouldn't, if it's a big contract, I'm going to sit here and say, that's why we're spending our money because I've already said that's where we're spending our money a couple times this off season. <laughs> that's true. I, yeah. If there were, if he ends up with a two or three year deal at, you know, let's say it's even similar to BW web where he gets 10 to $12 million. I'm going to say that's, that's, that's way too much. That's crazy. I, I would not be for that. But if we're talking one year, 3 million, then okay, let's do it because the Bengals got hurt really bad at defensive tackle last year. They were they were poor against the run, and Andrew Billings is in the final year of his deal also. So yeah. this would help eliminate some needs or at least some depth needs at defensive tackle and allow them to be a little more free because we talked about Jeff Hobson alluding to the Bengals wanting a big nose tackle type, and it could be in the first round even, even though there's not a guy that fits that bill. Drafting a Danny Shelton would, would at least hopefully alleviate that pressure to do so. Right. So, talking a little bit about Darquez Denard's contract demands before we finish up. 
he reportedly is asking for $10 million a year, which is not slot corner money. The highest paid slot corner this year is going to be Justin Coleman, who was a Seattle free agent. He is making $9 million per year on his new contract. He got a four-year $36 million deal. Bryce Callahan, who I think was the best slot corner available, took, I think, a fairly cheap deal to stay playing for Vic Fangio in Denver at three years, $21 million or $7 million a year. So if Darquez Denard wants $10 million a year, he either thinks he's better than those guys, which he's not, and he also has been hurt more than them, mm-hmm. or he thinks he is going to go play outside corner, which I think is more reasonable an assumption because he played outside in college, probably wants to prove that he can play outside and was a first round pick. And as we've talked about first round picks, there's a lot of weight to that for NFL teams. He's got a visit lined up with the chiefs, right? That's correct. So, okay. I would be interested if, if he lands there, the chiefs also brought in Ronald Darby, but didn't get a deal with him. He went back to the Eagles. The chiefs lost Steven Nelson to the Pittsburgh Steelers on a decent deal. Uh, so yeah, that'd be a, a, a spot for him where where he'd have to play outside corner and would have to prove himself. I think if he's looking at a Bradley Roby type deal, I think if he thinks he's an outside corner, which would probably be a one-year $10 million deal, let's see if you can play on the outside. If you can't, you're going back to $6, 7000000 million like the rest of these guys next year, uh, but at least he probably wants that opportunity to prove he can do it. Which makes sense. He was part of a, a very good, you know, the no-fly zone at Michigan State, one of the better college secondaries in recent history. And I'm sure as an NFL professional athlete, he wants to prove that he can be one of the best guys of that position. So it all makes sense. But I don't think he's worth that to the Bengals. I mean, I think that's exactly what happened. The only way that he would be worth that to the Bengals is if they were moving on from Drake Kirkpatrick, who they previously paid that kind of money to. And then you, I mean, that's the same mistake in my opinion. Right. And I think some have said, well, this is, the Bengals are going to end up in a situation like they were when they lost Jonathan Joseph. And I think this was Chris Rowling from the Bengals where Chris is a good friend of mine and, and I've worked with him before, but I disagree. And I disagree because Joseph was good. And Joseph was a, not just a premium pick, but a premium talent. And I never believed in my mind, dark was never was. And while they valued him highly, obviously, because they took him 21 overall, for me, he was a fringe first, second round type prospect because of his limitations, which I thought would preclude him from being an outside corner, which would, was top speed and ball skills. And without those two, it's tough to be a man cover corner on the outside. And he may still believe he can do that, but there is nothing of evidence on tape throughout his career so far that says he can. And I know there's even some fans that said, well, the Bengals should let him play outside. That's what he was. He was good at it in college. But that's where traits are transferable. That's where when we're going to watch draft prospects, it's not just about how good they play. It's about how well do they translate into the NFL. And can you project their position and their use in the NFL? And for Denard, it wasn't as a boundary man corner. He had to become a different player for him to be successful. And I wrote about it when he was drafted, and I think he – turned out exactly the way I expected him to. And I think he should embrace being a slot guy. And he was decent enough there that, you know, get a long-term deal, at least get, even if that means less per year and have that longevity and guaranteed money. If I was his agent, that's how I'd advise him. And to be fair, he did have one very good year in the slot. In 2017, when he played the whole year, he was good. Yeah. 
the defense took a big step down on the hole. So maybe Dark has Denard is still good. And it's, you know, his his slip in play is is correlated to the rest of the defense being pretty bad, especially in the possible. middle. Like he had no yeah. help from the linebackers last year. Right. So where he we talked be about in the middle of the, the field. And, exactly. We t- I think it must have been I can't even remember how long we've done this podcast now, but I think it had to be like three weeks to a month ago. The Bengals played more middle field open defense, inviting the passes to go over the middle, which is at against their nickel corner linebackers and safeties. Right. For whatever reason, that's what they played. And that left Denard in disadvantage, disadvantaged situations a lot. And I so I don't blame him. What he is is a really physical, good tackling, run defending corner. And because those are his best attributes, he's not valued as we can see in, in on the free agent market. So we'll see what happens with Darquez Denard this week. Do we'll you think there's any chance he comes back? Sure. Oh, you do? I see. I closed I, the door when the BW web signing happened. I, I think that it's a very, very small chance to be clear, but I'm not saying – I'm never saying never. <laughs> I'm not I'm not taking that hill. We see these free agents not get what they expect out there and then come back. The Bengals have had this, but you, know, you mentioned Bryce Callahan. So – he could walk in and say, listen, I'm better than BW Webb. I'm at least, I'll take that $6 million offer or whatever the case it is. I'm throwing a number out there right now, but I'll take that at least for one year, play again, maybe Jackson, maybe Kirkpatrick get hurt and I can go on the outside and play whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, he may feel more comfortable coming back to a familiar situation for similar money than going somewhere else. So quite a bit left to play out in free agency. Tomorrow we'll have mock draft Monday. We might take a different approach. I am so excited. Oh, I'm so excited for it. Just how the Im- this is going to impact how we draft now. It is. Joe's going to draft seven corners. Well, no, I don't think that. In but true Bengals fashion, can't have enough corners. Corners moved up. I definitely think that. I think O-line, we have to discuss how, how do you even attack offensive line now? Because they're paying all five starters. And so what does that mean? Can you, and, and, a, and a six backup right now. Do you still draft a guy? And, and based on Bengals history... They're not benching Bobby Hart if you draft a tackle. So what do you do? That tackle is going to make $3 million against the cap next year. That would be the saving. And I don't want to draft a tackle that's going to sit the bench. And they signed a guard now, too. So my previous idea of draft Cody Ford exactly. or Jonah Williams playing a guard for you, unless they cut Flint Bowling, which I don't really want. It just seems so inefficient. That may, doesn't make them better in 2019. But then I got to the same point in thinking and said, we got to focus on 2020. Keep 2020 vision. How do you make this team better then? I think they still draft defense. I do too. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Yep. All right, Bengals fans, that has been your Monday episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I hope you have a great one, and we will be back tomorrow with Mock Draft Monday on Tuesday. Two weeks into the free agency period this time, we will have a better idea of the direction of the team, And we know, like Joe said, how they try to attack the draft given what's on the roster. So we'll get into that tomorrow. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team 
every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.